Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Positive Politics, where together we will tackle all of the crazy events occurring in our political atmosphere and consider how we can address these events and change our country for the better and create a better political environment. I am super excited for the new year and all the 2021 episodes of Positive Politics I have lined up. Today, I will be sharing with you guys the first part of my interesting conversation with Brian Cannon. For nearly the past 10 years, Brian has been a champion for electoral and redistricting reform, driven by a firm belief that elected leaders serve the needs of the people, and the people need to have opportunities to hold their leaders accountable. He has worked with organizations such as One Virginia 2021, Fairmaps VA, and Rank the Vote. I first met Brian at the Sorensen Institute for Political Leadership High School Leaders Program at the University of Virginia. One of the first days in the program, Brian came to speak to us about the importance of redistricting reform. He inspired me to join his organization, Fair Maps VA, to help campaign for an amendment to Virginia's constitution that would create a citizen-led, bipartisan commission to ensure that the redistricting process is fair, transparent, and nonpartisan. I will forever be grateful for Brian's lecture at the High School Leaders Program, and that is why I am so excited to share with you guys the first part of our conversation today. In this episode, we discuss the history of gerrymandering in Virginia and America, how both political parties have conducted gerrymandering and are responsible for the dangerous situation we are in today, and we discuss the specific details of Amendment 1, the redistricting amendment to Virginia's Constitution. Now, without further ado, let's hear from Brian. Ryan, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, man. So uh, could you first introduce yourself and describe the work you have done with One Virginia 2021 and Fair Maps VA and other organizations you've worked with? Sure. So um, I, I, I live in Richmond, Virginia. I've been working for the last six years uh, on redistricting reform in Virginia professionally. Uh, I've been the executive director of One Virginia. And then when we ran the Vote Yes campaign, I, I jumped over there to run Fair Maps VA, which was the the five C four that ran that. Now everything's getting merged back, so I'll be back with One Virginia. But uh, it's all the same kind of family of reform, and that's what I've been doing for a while. Uh, I went to William Mary um, for undergrad, and then uh, they let me back a couple years later for law school. Uh, studied election law there, though there's no like majors in law school. I just uh, took a lot of election law classes, and in 2011 had the privilege of of uh, being on a team that won one of the competitions for the student mapping competition for the redistricting uh, uh, competition, the League of Women Voters and other folks set up. So um, I've been involved in redistricting for a long time, um, usually as a cheerleader or an advocate. And uh, and now here we are in the in the midst of the formation of the commission. And it's exciting times to see this thing finally, you know, a better process in place and, and seeing it work out well. And um, what is this, uh, elaborate a little bit about what this process um, you're referring to and why it's such a big deal um, and why uh, it's going to correct many of the problems in our system right now? Sure. The, the old way of doing redistricting in Virginia, as in a lot of states, is the legislator gets together in the proverbial smoky back room. They draw maps that benefit themselves and screw the other party or whatever. Um, don't really reflect communities at all. They go about, they gerrymander the hell out of their state. And, uh, and, and that's the, the way it's done. In Virginia now, because this amendment passed this, this past November, um, we will have a different process. There's no more partisan gerrymandering. There's no more smoky back rooms. There's uh, protections against racial gerrymandering in our state constitution for the first time. They're already in there at the federal level, but 
in a state constitution the first time. Um, and there's a whole big old dose of you know transparency that we can all be really, really proud of citizens at the table. So right now the commission is getting started. It is a hybrid commission of citizens and legislators and it's bipartisan. So it's evenly balanced between Republicans and Democrats. And so uh, the eight legislators have been chosen. Um, and right now the eight citizens are, will be chosen uh, by January 15th. So coming around here in like two weeks. Um, and um, why do you think uh, it's taken so long for um, Virginia to, to recognize this issue and, and do something about it? Because it's been decades and decades of gerrymandering that's happening in our Commonwealth. Why do you think it's taken so long? I think there's, there's two big pieces to it. One, it's a dirty deed done once a decade. And I think a lot of folks, you know, a lot of good politicians would hold their nose and vote for a gerrymandered map because they felt like they had to or whatever. And just, it is what it is. And that's the way politics is practiced. And, and then people would forget, right? And it would only happen once a decade. So it wasn't as egregious as like, you know, money in politics or something more in your face. It was just once a decade. Uh, the other, the other uh, kind of piece to this is, is that, you know, the, the system is very cozy for incumbent, uh, the incumbent party in power. Um, and then the, the, the other big component would be the technology for this has put the problem on steroids. Gerrymander has been around for in, in Virginia and this nation since the founding, but uh, the technology that now enables them to gerrymander has gotten so out of hand that it's so abundantly clear how bad this process is. And it's a real corrosive effect on our democracy. And so I think folks, you know, just part of the kind of reform moment we're in right now um, across the country. Um, and this is one of those egregious ones that needs to be fixed and, and it's time has come. Okay, and um, is it more, it, it's both sides that have really been uh, doing this. Is, is there, I know in, um, in Virginia, like for, for this specific amendment, um, when the Republicans were in power, uh, the Democrats uh, really pushed redistricting reform and really pushed this idea of, of Amendment 1. But then once the Democrats regained uh, power uh, after the, the 2019 elections, I think, they, uh, they, they some changed their minds and started opposing the amendment. So is this kind of... Um, the party who's not in power will push for redistricting reform until they get into power. <laughs> that seems to be the case, Ashwin. So yeah, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, uh, Maryland's controlled by Democrats has been for forever. They have just as much gerrymandering as the folks in North Carolina do. And the folks in North Carolina controlled by Republicans for the bulk of the last couple of decades. Um, and so it's the same story, just a different party. So this issue does not know a party. It is truly not left, right. It is right, wrong. Right, but for um, at least in uh, in my experiences with this uh, campaigning for for this amendment, um, it, there was kind of a, a sentiment that um, that uh, Republicans were the ones that really did um, a lot of gerrymandering, um, and the Democrats, uh, like people, were more willing to trust Democratic politicians to not do it. Uh, is that because of like in Virginia's history? there's been more Republican uh, gerrymandering or in more recent history, um, Republicans since Republicans have been in power more recently for a longer period of time. Um, is that why there's kind of, there was kind of that sentiment here that it was more one side doing it? Yeah, I think, you know, in, in Virginia's history, Democrats have gerrymandered way more times than Republicans have, have gerrymandered uh, completely. 
So, uh, you know, Democrats have the edge and it's not even close in terms of who was in charge of redistricting and how they did. Um, but technology got better and Republicans had a hand, particularly in the House of Delegates in 2011, but in 2011 it passed in a very bipartisan manner. Most of the House, of Dem House Democrats voted for it as well. So um, it was an interesting mix in, in the last redistricting cycle we had. So really in, the, in my lifetime, since the, I was born in 1982, we've only had one purely Republican gerrymander, and that was 2001. Um, and then we've had some, some mixed bags in, in the other sessions. But, but uh, yeah, I think it's like a lot of things in politics. If, you, you know, if your team is upset because you think the other guy is playing, the other side's playing um, unfairly or that they're cheating, uh, then all you have to do is just look back 20, more, 20 years prior and your side was cheating in, in some new way too, right? So each right. side does this and um, it's just a matter of who's, who's in power and, and who's out of power. Um, you said in 2011, House Democrats went along with uh, Republican gerrymandering. Is that what you said or is... Yeah, yeah. So in 2011, it was a, it was a weird kind of year because the Senate was held by Democrats, the House was held by Republicans, and Governor McDonald was in office as a Republican governor who had to sign it. Uh, the governor no longer in Virginia has to sign this, but back then it did. Um, and so basically the Senate Democrats gerrymandered their chamber, the House Republicans gerrymandered their chamber, but the House Republicans worked with House Democrats and uh, ended up passing that plan with like 89 out of 100 votes. Um, basically because they said like to a lot of legislators, like, hey, you know, the city of Richmond's never gonna vote. Uh, for a Republican in these areas. So why don't we just let the Democratic legislators and these strongholds, Democratic strongholds, just draw their own districts. You can put the line wherever the hell you want. Just do, you know, follow these couple criteria and leave the other ones alone that we've drawn as Republicans to keep our people safe. And so it was a, it was a, it was a, a bipartisan gerrymander uh, back then. And then pretty, a pretty uh, fierce one. And what's interesting is, is that, that the map that the De House Democrats ended up voting for, for the House of Delegates, ended up getting overturned as a racial gerrymander, which it was, um, but they, they, you know, Democrats now say, oh, we would never racially gerrymander. Well, they, they basically did racially gerrymander in 2011, and then they tried again in 2018. So, but I'm kind of, why would, um, well, I guess there's, there's two questions I have. Why would House um, Republicans uh, want House Democrats to even be involved in the process if they controlled the House? And, so, oh yeah, yeah, go ahead. So the House Republicans would look at cities and really blue areas and just say, look, there's no way we're going to win in there. But okay. there's a so so we might as well let the, the other guys do it. And usually in what you the, there's a kind of a, a culture in the in the legislature. And I assume this is another legislature, but I know it's in Virginia. Whereas if you make an amendment to a bill, if you say, hey, I would love that if you, you added, you know, change this and to an or, or something like that, you make an amendment to a bill, you are expected to vote for that bill. Right. Like having them change the bill and then voting against it is kind of poor form, but you can understand that like logically. Yeah. So having the Democrats come in and make all their amendments to their little districts where they got to, you know, whatever, then they vote for it. Oh, it was so a like, very smart strategy. Right, right. So it's like, well, um, it, it's kind of like the uh, House Republicans kind of like, we're being nice to you by letting you be involved in this process. And that's kind of incentivized them to to vote for the overall plan, even though the overall plan will probably still be skewed to the Republicans. Yep, it was very skewed to Republicans, uh, and mostly because of the racial gerrymandering that that packed a bunch of black and brown Virginians into as few districts as possible. Uh, there were alternative plans that would have produced more black districts for Virginia, almost because you can't do worse than the plan the Democrats voted for. 
but uh, almost every member of the House uh, Black Caucus voted for it because it made their districts safer, right? You get to draw your own district. It keeps right. you, make sure you get reelected. You know, are you really going to fight for the esoteric principle of something fair, bigger, or better? Not a lot of them do. Some of them did, but but not many. Right. So that that's kind of like the 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 dual idea of um, Jeremy. Like two ways you can look at um, packing uh, a bunch of people from one party in a specific area. Because like on the one hand, that is good in a way because now you're never going to lose and you're guaranteed to have a seat. Um, but on the other hand you are going to um, dilute the, the possible power of having multiple representatives. And I think um, didn't uh, the uh, Douglas Wilder, the governor of uh, purposely created like a, a safe seat in um, was in Norfolk uh, for, for Bobby Scott, right? As Correct, yeah, in the 1991 redistricting, um, Governor Wilder was in office, first African-American governor in, the, in, the, in Virginia and um, yeah, and, and he was very adamant that there be a, a black congressional district, and that was the right call. Um, and the question was, how many black people are you going to put in there? And they went really out of their way to put a lot in there. They put more than 50%. And even though then at the time, state senator, now Congressman Bobby Scott, but state senator Scott was like, I don't need that many black people to win. He's won in a, you know, a, a, major, a non-majority black district before. Bobby Scott had plenty of crossover appeal with white voters. This wasn't an issue. And the allegedly Doug Wilder said to Bobby Scott, this isn't about you. I want to make sure we always have a black representative there. And for Virginia, if you look at where the status quo was, that was a hell of a step forward. Um, the problem is, is that that continues. And lo and behold, we realized that that step forward is, is a bit stale. Virginia should have had two black congressmen. And now we do, thanks to a lawsuit and, um, and, and unpacking that black district. So do you think um, that idea of, of packing and ensuring um, like uh, ensuring that there is at least one African-American uh, representative, you think that's kind of like diluting and more, more people uh, are seeing that that's not the, the most, the, the right way to go about it? Yeah, I think, I, you know, I, I, the, now the mayor of Alexandria, uh, I'm sorry, the mayor of Norfolk, Kenny Alexander, uh, who was a state delegate and state senator uh, through the last redistricting cycle. Um, Mayor Alexander said to me, he's like, Brian, we voted for that stuff because he's African-American. So we voted for that stuff because it was all we had. We right. didn't want to lose black representation. And I really thought that really struck me because I was like, because it's a, like politically, it's a stupid play. You're diluting black votes by by taking one when you should have likely two. Right. Um, but you, but but the the kind of bird in hand argument really won, won out for them then. And I also will say that, you know, back in 1990, whatever, when, when um, they were drawing that district for Congressman Scott or for State Senator Scott, um, there probably wasn't as much white crossover voting as there is now, right? So the, the question is, I, and I'm a Democrat, you know, as a Democrat, as a white Democrat, will I vote for a black candidate if my party nominates one? Or do I dislike black people so much that I'll vote for a party that I'm not affiliated with to make sure that the black person doesn't get in? And that's the kind of question of, of racial voting block analysis that needs to be done. But just from a high level or a broad brush stroke, you can imagine that being more white people were uncomfortable with voting for a black candidate back in 1990 than they would be today in you know 2021. Right. right. The times have changed now. Uh, serves to to be better than uh, what it was back then. Mm -hmm. um, so with this um, full citizen. 
uh, redistricting commission. One thing that I, what, what, when you were talking about the 2011 with the, the House of Dems and the House of Republicans kind of like working together, um, saying like, okay, we'll take this one, you guys can take that one. How do we ensure um, what the, the full citizen uh, redistricting commission, it's not gonna be a full citizen, the hybrid with the citizens and the politicians. How do we um, ensure something like that doesn't happen again? Ashwin, I think that's the, the absolute most important question. So there's three types of gerrymandering. There's racial gerrymandering. Obviously, we just talked about that, right? Packing or cracking black or brown people or racial, ethnic or language minorities. Um, then there is partisan gerrymandering, which is when one party screws the other party over, right? That's Maryland for Democrats and that's North Carolina Republicans. And it's Virginia's history most of the time, right? The 2011 was an anomaly. Um, and then there's a sub, and then, and then a broader bit, which is called political gerrymandering. It's a third part is political gerrymandering, which also kind of encompasses partisan gerrymandering. It's kind of a square rectangle thing, but political gerrymandering that's not partisan is basically incumbent protection. It's, I'm going to draw you out of the district because I think you might challenge me in a primary, or I want to draw my mom in or a big donor in or something like that to, to help get me elected. And everybody's going to go along with it. And that's really, really hard to weed out like really hard to weed out. Um, and you can't just write a law that says no political gerrymandering. It, it, it doesn't work. It's more uh, nefarious than that. So um, the, 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 the tools we have in this new process are, are so, so basically the, the racial gerrymandering is illegal under Virginia law now for the first time ever. Partisan gerrymandering is illegal because this commission will allow it structurally. Political gerrymandering is the one that's hard to stamp out. And here's how we're addressing it in this uh, commission. First of all, transparency, right? The smoky back room is where most of these dirty deals are made. So putting everything out in the open is a lot better. And then the second part is, and this is really a question of the eight citizens that'll be on the commission, um, how willing are they to stand up for fair maps? Right? We're not asking them to do something that's going to harm their, the political party they're affiliated with, but how willing are they to like stop those kind of shenanigans? Um, and I think based on the evidence so far and the good pool of people that have been nominated, um, I feel really good that we're going to have eight quality citizens that aren't going to stand for a bunch of uh, you know, political dirty shenanigans, even if they are being willing to done, done in public. So um, there's no foolproof guarantee that you won't have that, but I feel really good about uh, where we are, that it will at least be incredibly hard to do um, and won't be done at the level at which it's done before. Okay. And um, could you say, uh, tell me and tell the audience, what is the, the number of out of the 16, how many need to be on board with the map for it to be passed? Does it need to be unanimous or majority or it's a super majority requirement. Um, so there's uh, there's eight citizens and eight legislators, and you need six votes of, of, of each block. You need six legislators and you need six citizens on board. So that's 12 is technically your number, but you need a specific 12 uh, to get it through. And that, that's kind of borrowed from California's process, which is um, a really good process. And, and we that super majority requirement kind of ensures that neither side can get over on the other. Like you just got to kind of be fair and square. Um, and, it, and it improves on what Arizona's is, which is they have um, a five-member commission. They only need three votes. They have two Republicans, two Democrats, and a chair who's an independent. And, the, and while I love an independent as a chair, I love that idea. Um, really, it was just it was just you know it was the two Democrats and the and the independent chair voting yes the whole time, and the Republicans getting left out. I think the maps were fair, but it certainly didn't feel like a very good process. Right. Um, so that. So like if the citizens block clearly sees something not okay happening, they can all, uh, it'll, it'll only take uh, three of them to kill it. Correct. Okay, that, that's good. That's encouraging. 
Um, and but, usually that's what you see in, in, in California and Michigan and Colorado, other states like that. It's, it, you know, it takes two or three, depending on what kind of math or what kind of map you're talking about, two or three commissioners to block a set of maps. That's, that's the kind of threshold. If you, it, some people are like, oh, well, that's just a couple people could object. And you're like, yeah, but there's only but so many people on the commission. Right. <laughs> and like it's, if you want a super majority requirement, you're going to have to do better than, uh, better than nine, right? Right. And is this, um, how long will like the service be on this commission? Is it, is, it's not lifetime, is it? Or is it lifetime? No, 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 no. Uh, it's so it's, I guess it's technically for a decade, but really the, the work, so the commission will be formed and up and running by February 1st. They will have had their first public meeting. They'll have picked a chair. They'll probably have done some other, you know, administrative business. Um, and then it's a matter of when the census data arrives. Uh, which we don't know what usually happens in February, but we're not in usual times. So it might come as late as June. Whenever it comes, then we'll, uh, then the clock starts for how long the commission has to do its work. So the commission has uh, about a month and a half to draw the first round of state legislative maps, and it has two months to draw the first round of congressional maps. And there's some back and forth. So basically, broad brush, two months, three months of work once this okay. gets done, and then they'll be done. And then by the from, by the next ten years, next next ten years from now, it'll be a new group. Correct. I see. Okay. Um, but uh, as we talked earlier, this was um, more of a a compromise amendment. This was not everything uh, Fairmaps wanted. So, um, could you first talk about like what that um, situation was like? Did you guys like as an like an interest group, advocacy group? Did you guys go and meet with uh, the legislators and what was that uh, process like of it was like like a give and take uh, compromise meet you in the middle stuff like that yeah it was it was interesting because you know of course we have our case to pitch that this is the right thing to do and this is fair and nobody should be afraid of fair maps but that only gets you so far when you're talking to partisans on either side who want to make sure they're not going to get screwed and quite frankly whatever system brought you there right whatever system you got elected under you're predisposed to like it Right, whether it's first past the post voting or whatever it is, like you're you're pretty supposed to like. So it's hard to say you should change the system that got you here um, and do this thing because it's objectively better, right? So what happened in twenty uh, in twenty nineteen when this amendment first passed and when the compromise being ironed out is we put forward kind of a A plus gold standard plan. It was really good. Um, it did not make it very far, but what did make it out of the state senate was this hybrid plan. Uh, basically, the compromise was you're never going to get an all citizens independent commission, but we'll, we're willing to give the citizens an equal say on the commission with the legislators, make it bipartisan, make it all transparent and fair. Um, and that was the kind of compromise so that got out of that, the Senate, which was, wasn't unusual because most of the Senate Dems and, and a good chunk of the Senate ours were in favor of reform even before it was cool. So it was always the House was the problem. So it went over to the House, but at that time in 2019, uh, the House was up for re-election that coming November, so they saw it, and there was a big blue wave. The Republicans held the House, but it was 51-49, so it was about as close as you get. And right. the thought for the Republicans was, well, this thing has to pass twice, so if we pass it once, either we, we hold on to our majority, which is possible, we hold on to our majority, we have a chance to kill it next year, or we, uh, the Democrat, or we, we pass this, and the Democrats take over, and then the Democrats are stuck. We're in the minority. We'll definitely want reform then. Right. <laughs> so yeah. that was the kind of like the political compromise to get. So it wasn't that this was the right thing to do that won the day. It was 
Democrats were in the minority, so they still supported redistricting reform, and Republicans saw the writing on the wall, and strategically it was better for them to be in favor of redistricting reform um, before they got out of power and got screwed by Democrats. Right, because they it has to go through twice. So even if they won again, like you said, they uh, Republicans could kill it if they wanted to, mm-hmm. uh, and um, if they lose, then that's the best thing for them, anyways. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. the burden is on the Democrats who now have won. Like, are they now? Now they're gonna say now they're in a pretty testy situation. Are they actually gonna follow through and still still support it? It was tough. I mean, the Senate did follow through just fine. The House Democrats really balked. I mean, as soon as they won the majority in November of 2019, you started seeing, and we already had a couple of of objectors, and some of them were, I think, honest objectors that just wanted more reform. I want more reform too, but I'm not willing to lose what's on the table. Um, But uh, but then you just started hearing all these legislators, you know, peel off. You're like, you don't, you've never said anything on the campaign trail that there was anything wrong with this compromise you voted for last year. And now all of a sudden you win re-election and you're in the majority. And now you're starting to find some problems with this thing that you didn't like this or that little feature. It's, it's such BS, um, but it was, it, you know, it's par for the course in politics. Right. Um, so what I'm interested in is what was the, you said you originally submitted like a, a gold star perfect um, uh redistricting commission amendment proposal. So what was that, what, what, what did that entail? Like in the perfect world, what is the best way to redistrict? So, uh, well, I, I don't know if there's a, there's a perfect way to do it, but there's a, certainly a, kind of a, in, the, in the realm of an A, as I'm a former high school government teacher, so I'll call, I'll call it like that. An, a, an a, a or an A plus level reform would mean no legislators on the commission. Okay. You don't have to exclude them completely because sometimes they can be helpful in doing like jury strikes on the other legis- on the other pool of applicants, that's what California does, where the Democratic legislative leaders get strikes on the Republican pool of citizens, and the Republican legislators get strikes on the, the Democratic pool of citizens that are being chosen. So there's an interesting way to kind of use use politicians to pull out the ringers of the other side. Um, but our, our proposal was a 10-member commission with um, three Republicans, three Democrats, and four people not affiliated with either. Um, and you would need uh, seven votes to pass a map, I believe. It's been a while since I've thought about that that plan, but that was the gist of it. And so I think that'd be a much better process for Virginia. Hopefully it's something we can, you know, move towards in, in this next decade. And I think having the reform that we just got through, whereby the smoky back room is gone, the ability to partisan gerrymander and screw over the other party is gone. Uh, I think we're finding a much better footing now to say like, okay, let's take the next step and do a little bit more. I don't know if we'll get it. We're going to need some retirements, some cajoling and uh, some legislators not to get too comfy in their seats, um, but uh, I think it's it's much more likely that we can get the full A A plus level reform for 2031. And did that? Um, how would those 10 uh, people be selected? Was would that entail? Was that the same way that um, in Amendment One they're going to be selected? There's some elements of it. It was an application process, um, and then it was whittled down. The judges, the selection committee of judges, came first. They winnowed it down to I forget how many folks, and you know, a, a, you know, a number of Republicans, a number of Democrats, and a number of Independents, and and then the legislative leaders came in and they got jury strikes on the opposite side and on the Independents, and um, then with those jury strikes, you would take out what would be left would be your ten member commission. All right, thanks, Brian, and that is it for part one of my conversation with Brian Cannon. In the next part, we will begin by diving headfirst 
into the grassroots political campaigning and the community organizing that went into making sure Amendment 1 passed in the November election. I hope you guys enjoyed, and I'll see you guys next time.